This CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies. From healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution, Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. As with any investment, capital is at risk. Hello, my name's John Schaefer, and I'm here today with Paul Jordan, Fund Manager at Amati. Paul, thank you so much for joining me today. Pleasure, thanks John. You mentioned de-risking in the portfolio. Um, what have you cut as a result of that? Early part of the year, we were cutting uh, companies that have been very successful, you know, high-quality long-term growth companies, but where we could see that the market was, either the market was going to want to derate them or where there might be some risks to their long-term growth as a result of a recession. The kind of companies we sold were were things like Focusrite. We sold a holding in Softcat, so that's carried on doing very well. Uh, We sold Dunelm, which was really a great retailing business. Um, You know, companies that we'd never normally have sold, but we were in quite, you know, quite an extreme position a year ago. Yeah. Early, earlier this year, and, and you know they were all useful and, and um, were, were helpful in raising money in the fund. You know, we also sold some stocks that we hadn't didn't choose to sell, but they got bid for. And that was a that was actually also a very effective way of uh, of raising money in the fund. Which stocks specifically were? Oh, we had uh, CareTech was one, um, Euro Money Investor, HomeServe, uh, Air Partner. That was very active in the first part of the year, and then. Really, it slowed down in the after July because private equity was finding it impossible to get any debt mm. uh, at a sensible price, and so that stalled the M and A uh, market to, to a big degree. When the interest rate cycle begins to peak out, then debt will become more keenly priced again, and M and A probably picks up at that point. I was talking to a U.S. small cap manager this morning that said M and A activity is sometimes a bit of a thief of a small cap fund manager. In yes. a sense, do you agree with that sentiment? Earlier this year, we were quite glad to be able to sell some stocks at pretty sensible prices. Uh, you know, where I think that that remark will be, you know, much more uh, valid for us will be at the beginning of the next cycle, where I really won't want to be selling. Companies to private equity, which are going to, you know, where their earnings are probably going to bounce massively. And generally speaking, when you get into that kind of position, the earnings go up much more than the market would ever be brave enough to predict. And so you won't see it in the forecasts. And some people might then think, oh, well, that's not a bad premium. But the reality will be it will be a bad premium. And, you know, it's not a time to be selling companies at that stage. It's one of my concerns, actually, that when we, when we do finally get to the bottom of this market and we begin to see the, the, the recovery the other side, um, that we might lose some businesses that we really want to keep. Your higher sector weighting is still in tech. I mean, do you see that changing over the next couple of months? I don't think so. I mean, the, 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 the technology stocks we have are there for good reasons. You know, they're, they're um, pretty resilient growth companies. They've got very strong balance sheets. Uh, a lot of them have sold off a long way, and that's obviously understandable with the market. There's some pretty attractive entry points to some of them. But they're not the kind of stocks that are ever going to be on you know, properly low PEs. Uh, and, but they are the kind of companies that are very attractive to private equity. Mm. And they're, they're sought after kind of companies. A lot of them are global leaders at what they do or, or market leaders at what they do. Which sort of UK tech stocks are you most bullish on at the moment? I'm, I'm assuming some you might consider to have been indiscriminately sold off over the last couple of months. Yes, and, and, and it's not straightforward. And you, know, you can see what's happened to Microsoft and Alphabet in terms of UK small and mid-cap companies. The largest position we've got in the technology stock is in Craneware. Its end market is pretty non-cyclical in US hospitals, selling software to US hospitals. It's 
revenues are for the most part recurring. It had some service revenue in there, but the bulk of it's annual license sales. And um, the multiple's a lot lower than it's been. So it is a business where its growth kind of goes in sort of, sort of quite long-term waves. And we're hopeful that it's got a pretty good few years ahead of it. The hospital function there links in sort of nicely with your long-standing investment in, in healthcare as a sector. I mean, is that still a sector that's attractive to you? The healthcare sector is interesting because it's, it's highly bifurcated, really. There's a few stocks in there in, in, in small and mid-cap, which are very profitable cash-generative businesses, like Indivior, which is really our main position in the sector. And that's done really well this year, relatively speaking. It's held up. Um, magnificently, really, and the business is making very good progress. It sells um, treatments for opioid addiction and also schizophrenia in, mm. in the US. Pretty important treatments, and they, they, a few years ago, launched a new formulation of this well-known treatment for opioid addiction. Uh, Buprenorphine is the name of the drug, but they, they formulate it in such a way that you can uh, inject it under the skin, and it, the, 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 a single dose then lasts for a whole month. And in the, in the way um, that treatment works, that's a pretty important advance because the, 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 the main problem with treating opioid addiction is lack of compliance. And uh, if you know you can just stop taking it and then take the drug for a few days when you fancy it, it makes the treatment a lot less effective. The drug's had a really good reception over the last few years and it's picking up speed pretty nicely. So, you know, that's operating in its own little world. doesn't really matter what interest rates are. There are wrinkles with the company as there are with everything. Yeah. Um, but it's been a good performer. But on the other hand, in that sector where you've got companies which are more in the biotech type, which are heavily loss-making, which have got huge investments or mountains to climb, uh, they've had a much more difficult year. We did have a couple of names a year ago like that, and we, we, we exited those quite some time ago. Another holding in the fund is Kinetic, which seems to be defence-based, and that, that seems to be one of your saving graces in the fund that's up around 31% year-to-date. Um, you know, why has that been a focus for you recently? For fairly obvious reasons that, you know, the peace dividend's well and truly over. Kinetic is... Uh, a kind of key part of the UK defence establishment, supplier of key technology, um, electronics, and um, um, pretty sophisticated capabilities to the UK and, and the US military. It's a business which had really fallen out of favour quite a bit with investors. Um, I know that um, some investors take the view that uh, one shouldn't invest in defence businesses wholesale. I, mean, I, I take the view that really that's a very naive position to adopt. And if, if you stop and think about it for a bit longer than five minutes, you know, you might think, well, you know, are you really suggesting that we shouldn't have a, 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 an army in the UK? Mm. From our sort of ESG point of view, it, it definitely ticks the boxes. It, it's not selling dangerous weapons to dangerous dictators. You know, that's, mm. that's the problem with defence. Rathbones is a top 10 holding in the fund. Is asset management a, a good place to invest? We've got a few holdings actually in, in uh, asset managers. Rathbones is one of the wealth managers, uh, well, in fact, is, is the only, I think it's the only wealth manager we own. We have, we have a couple of fund managers as well. Um, and I think the thing we like about all of them, even though they've had a difficult year, and, and Rathbones is the biggest holding because it's kind of low beta, and it's, it's, you know, yes, it's gone down, but not that much. Mm. And it's, it's one of the lower beta names. But the reason we like the sector in general is very strong balance sheets, highly cash-generative businesses, and um, recurring revenues. You know, it's the asset managers start the year knowing that if nothing else changes, this is going to be our revenue. So, of course, assets can go down and your revenue doesn't make it. But, you know, it, it's a very, very extreme world where your revenue goes to zero or where you, you know, you have major, major dislocations. Sure. So, in many ways, 
they are the kind of companies that pull through crises. Are there any other listed asset or wealth managers that are sort of on your hit list at the moment, considering the prices have fallen away so much? Well, we own some Gresham House and um, Poda Capital, and we own some Lion Trust. Yeah, and, and you know, while they have all had a difficult year, they, mm. they you know, well, certainly Polar and Lion Trust are paying massive dividends. Yeah. And it's easy to forget about that when you just look at the share price graphs. There's potential for those dividends to be cut as well. I mean, we saw that with Jupiter recently. Uh, yes, they can be cut. Yeah. And, and yeah, the, main, the, the thing you've got to watch out for really in the business is, is the culture. And if the culture is strong, those businesses recover very fast. And they, uh, you know, at the top of the next cycle, they'll be a lot bigger than they were at the top of the last cycle. I want to drill down a little bit on, on energies. Um, I3 seems to, be, seems to be one of your success stories this year, and that, that's gone up over 80%. Um, you know, what's driving the performance at, at that company in particular? Production and high commodity prices. I mean, pretty simple, really. Yeah. And I3 Energy, it's a very simple story. It's uh, Canadian resources. They, they had a small asset in the UK, which they farmed out and came in as a dry hole in the North Sea. That's fine. It's not, not you know, it's a pity, but it's, it was not the investment thesis for I3 yeah. ever. Many different Canadian assets. You know, no one is massively large, so no great single well dependency. Um, They've got some fantastic ground acreage in, in Canada. Uh, the production's been very strong. Um, they're drilling new wells in, in, in the acreage they've got. They, 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 they're a company with a little bit like um, uh, 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 its sort of larger cousin, although there, there are big differences as well, but there's diversified energy, which we also own, which is a, uh, a US gas producer, which has literally thousands of very small uh, wells, but in total, it's very, it's, very long tail, long term. These are legacy wells that were drilled a long time ago. The, the production is on a decline, but relatively modest. And some of these wells are going to last 50 years. Uh, and, and you know they they bought them when nobody else was really interested in them, paid very little for them. And I3 did something similar in Canada, and they bought these assets really in when nobody wanted to own oil and gas. One of the things that's happened over the last year is the market's been reminded that we're not free. You know, we're not yet free of oil and gas. Sadly. You know, we are still 80% dependent or 85% dependent on oil and gas for our energy. And we literally cannot survive without it at the moment. Don't get me wrong, I, I, we make lots of investments that are designed to bring about energy transition. But we have got to remember that right now we're not free of it. IEA's paper on, on energy, I think it was 21, they produced it when, maybe it's 2020, when they concluded that we don't need any new oil and gas fields. And... That's a huge problem with that argument, and, and the thing I can't quite forgive them for in making it is that they completely ignore where is the oil and gas. And if the oil and gas is in Russia and Saudi Arabia, which most of it is, and Venezuela, really it's not of any use to us. Yeah. And the idea that we should be not developing any of our own fields because we can just buy it from there, frankly, is utterly preposterous. This CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies. From healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution, Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. As with any investment, capital is at risk. 